Thank you. Uh, great to be here again. And of course, we have family here in the church, so it's always good to be back with Uncle Tom and Aunt Peg. And the church has become family to us as you've prayed for us over the years. I, I'm trying to remember how many years it's been. It's been quite a, quite a while since uh, you've been investing there. We want to give a little bit of a report and then share what guys have put on our heart too. Aaron, um, let's talk about the kids here. Let's see if we can get this thing to go forward here to... Maybe you can advance it there for me there. Uh, might be the, uh, the curtain there. Um, these are our kids, Camila and Gabriel. Let's, why don't you tell them a little bit about our kids? Hello. Hello. Go ahead. I just have to be closer to it. Is that better? Yeah. Anyway, can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Go. Okay, so you guys have been supporting us for a really long time, and a lot of the things that you see that we're involved in that are that we we are involved in people's lives in discipleship and in and in missionary groups. You guys are involved in all that over these years. And so you're we support missionaries from Brazil in Thailand and China in Cuba, in other places, and you guys are part of that. So you do support us in Brazil, but you go way, way, way beyond that. And the investment that you guys have had in a lot of the people, these people here, Camila and Gabriel, they are as much in the ministry as we are. We have been through uh, highs and lows in ministry, victory and difficulties, and when, when they see us going through, because it's not that there's no, no difficulties ever, and thank you so much. It's not that there's never difficulties. It's that when you got two people like Camila and Gabriel on board praying for you, when you're going through the difficulties, you realize that it's a team effort. And so they love it. Um, Camila's in Australia right now studying at Hillsong, and Gabriel's at home right now keeping the house clean. <laughs> I can't wait to see what I got waiting for when I get back, but they are just wonderful. Um, we had an opportunity last year to go skydiving and to take the kids skydiving. And in our hands, we each wrote something. You can write a word on each hand. We wrote what has been, what God taught us over the years. Gabe's got it up there, no regrets, and he lives life to the fullest all the time. Shane has a phrase, don't give up. He's always telling people that. Um, take risks is mine. I do it all the time. <laughs> and Camila's live free. And that's beautiful because we've been through a lot of things that, are hard to live through, but God has been faithful through it all. This is what our church does far and near in in the city. We're, we're in charge of the missions, but it, there's we got the city inside the church, outside the church, outside of the country, and the missionaries that we're involved in in the next slide. Are, basically, just to explain, this is a banner that's at our church. It's a full-wall poster, and basically it has Jerusalem, Judea, uh, and ends of the earth there. Uh, there's another one, Samaria, right? Uh, so basically, it deals with the missions that are local in our in our town. That the church, the campuses that we're planting around the main campus, uh, Montserrat Church is the church guys allowed us to partner with now since 2006. And then we have missionaries being sent out to the ends of the earth. So this is kind of a map of what God's doing through the Brazilian church that we've been able to partner with. And uh, the next picture is this is uh, we had a lunch there for, with our missionaries that Aaron and I get to. It's a dream come true. We get to. Uh, coordinate the seminary students, which are about 15, and then we also get to mentor the, the church planters, uh, which there is uh, some of those uh, overlap, the, but there's eight couples that are planting uh, new campuses around, and then some missionaries are already on the field in Cuba, uh, China, and now most recently we sent out a, 
Annelise, who's this, this, this young lady here, we sent her out to Thailand about two months ago. Yeah, these, these people that we get to invest in their lives, and I spend a lot of time I week in, in personal discipleship where we just, I take the ladies that I disciple where God has taken me that day. It's such a blessing to do. But this lady, Annelise, she has been called to Thailand for a couple years, and I just got a voice message from her over WhatsApp the other day, and this is what she said. She said, you know, other missionaries here in Thailand, I think they're trying to protect me from scars that they've suffered over the years. And she said, I think these scars need to be healed and not exposed right now because all I can see is how good God is being to me. She said, when, I, when God gave me my car, uh, I looked at it and I knew that my father would get this car for his girl. And he said, she said, I really realized that my father did give it to his girl. My father is protecting me, and he's, he's, he's here with me. And, and I want to show the people that where the money that they've invested in me is where it's going and that it's been well spent. And I just love being a missionary. I love my home church. And the happiness and gratitude that she showed was, I, I just, it was tear-jerking. I really did. We got We were going to play the, we were, the audio. We were, it was a little bit long, and so, but it, it is beautiful. And she also does thank in the audio Aaron for, for just the love and care uh, that she's been giving her over as in the preparation uh, phases as she uh, was being mentored this last year to be sent out. But one of the things that's been just a dream come true, it, it goes back to 1995. We went to Brazil. We were preparing to go to Brazil. No, I can stand next to you. Okay, There's no yeah. reason for me to be over. Yeah, that's good. Uh, <laughs> when we were preparing to go to Brazil, we put there, you know, to plant church planting churches that send missionaries to the world. And God has allowed us to be involved in that despite everything that we've been through and despite all the the, you know, the, the fragility of our own walk with the Lord, that God's been mentoring us, you know, through, through even our pastor in Brazil, who's, him and his wife disciple us. Uh, this God has done so much in us, and then now he's allowing to, to do through us things that we dreamed about 20 years ago. Um, to see those different couples, or each one of those, uh, those are people that have come up through the seminary student status into missionary sending status, and uh, just to see God... Uh, using the Brazilian church to actually reach out and plant churches not only in our state but around the world. So Aaron gets to mentor these women. That's part of them. We have about 15 couples that we spend, uh, that we're in charge of uh, as far as discipleship goes, and a good, most of those are in ministry. Thank you, okay, baby. Thank you. Thank you, guys. There's no words. Really, there are no words to express our gratitude for you, for everything you guys have done, and for these people that you guys have sent by extension. So anyway, thanks, guys. A few years ago, we were in a crisis where we were going to have to come back and raise support because um, we didn't have enough support to stay on the field, and God allowed us to, the Brazilian church, to take over our support as, as far as salary goes. And then the American uh, funds, like funds from this church, were allowed to then go into ministry funds where we actually help do all this ministry uh, so you, as, as you support us, you also support Anelizi in uh, Thailand, Azaf. He's not on this picture, but Azaf over in uh, uh, Austria. And uh, we have also uh, other works in the area that these ministry funds allow us to get, be mobile and visit these missionaries. We were able to go to Cambodia to see uh, a school that our church helped plant, uh, build and plant a church there in Cambodia last year. And the year before that, we went to India to see a ministry that our church also is helping. Uh, in, they have a school of 1,000 kids, and they have uh, also seven church plants. And so for us to be able to visit our missionaries on the field and everything, that's what funds from this church directly goes to. And so we appreciate that. It allows the ministry to really expand. 
So I wanted to just share a little bit here with uh, one of the things that God's been teaching us. Going to Genesis chapter 4, uh, our kids, uh, Camila's over in, in, at Hillsong uh, College in, in, uh, in Australia, and it's, she's 20 years old. Uh, it, it's been a trial just to see her go, you know, and it's been seven months she's been away from home, and, and I've had a, two breakdown crises where, like, in the middle of the night, it's almost claustrophobic. I mean, my daughter's not here. She's way over there. What's going to happen if something... You know, it's, it's, uh, you just go through this, this crisis. I don't know if you've been through that yet. You, you've got kids that are a little older, you know. Camila's 20, Gabriel's 18. And, uh, and then, she, but yesterday I was speaking up in Boston with our team. Two of our other pastors are here ministering at a retreat there. And right before I got up to speak, Aaron says, hey, Camila's praying for you with her friends in, in, in Australia. I mean, it's a simple phrase, but it just broke me down. I couldn't even get the microphone. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just speaking just because to know that my daughter's over there on the other side of the world and we're not worried about her, you know, uh, whether she's in trouble or doing, she's praying for me over there. And and so these are, it's a huge dream come true for any parent that their kids would follow the Lord. And that's the one thing that we've been praying for all these years. And so I, I put this together. It's a, uh, a little bit of a study about how 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 do we, invest our lives in so that the next generation will, will follow Christ. And then we've been working on it for a few years. Uh, it says here, and Abel also brought an offering. So you remember that in the beginning there, uh, this, this story about Abel brings his offering, it's accepted, uh, Cain's is not. And there's a lot of debate about, well, why was one offering accepted or not, and, and the other one not? But I would like to show you here that it says that Abel and his offering, uh, God, it says the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not. And so it's interesting that uh, God accepts the man before the offering. A lot of times we put a lot of focus on what the substance was, whether it was a bloody substance or whether it was a, a grain substance, and that was the big deal. No, it says that God rejected Cain and his offering, and God accepted Abel and his offering. And I think that's a very important thing to notice because uh, the whole idea of religion and religiosity, where you come with a great offering but not with a great devotion before the Lord. We see here that God accepts Abel, but he rejects Cain. And the offering is a secondary issue in this text. Uh, if you go to look maybe in, in other places in the Bible about the story, First John three twelve says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. So one of the clues as to what happened here is that Cain belonged to the evil one. So you can bring as many offerings as you want, but if you belong to the evil one, uh, those aren't going to be accepted, you know, because God rejected Cain. But, but the acts and the, the daily walk and the daily life of Abel was righteous. And so God accepted Abel and his offering. So I think it was a, it was a, it's a good clue for us as to uh, what's going on there in that, in that text. Can you go bump it forward there for me? Thanks. I don't know if it's... It might be working, it might not, but we'll... Let me see. Does it work? Uh, it's not. We're going to do a sign. Today's, this will be the sign. And then you know... Okay. <laughs> Anyways, it could just be like that. There, like this. Okay, uh, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? 
why is your face downcast? And I think there's a, an interesting clue here to when you're trying to bring a family into following God. Uh, absence of joy means presence of sin. Because God's talking to Cain and says, he doesn't go right at, dude, why are you thinking about killing your brother? No, he's like, why are you looking sad? That seems to be a big deal. And I know that one of the things that we've worked on with the kids is that bring the joy of the Lord into everything. I mean, if there's Disney, it's, it's come on, come on here. This was Jesus that did this, man. This is God in our life. And we always have to celebrate. And because if there's a lack of celebration around worship, around church, I mean, kids don't want to be part of that. And so you've got to make being, serving God a party because it is the greatest party on the, on the face of the earth. And so God goes right to the heart of the matter with Cain. He says, listen, you, you, you're looking sad, and that means that you're not doing what's right. But if you did what was right, you would be accepted. And so being accepted and not looking sad I kind of go together with doing what's right. And so that's another clue of what's going on here in this text. In the, as, the, as the story moves forward, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, uh, Why are you angry? You know, Why is your face downcast? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? But if you do, what is, uh, uh, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. And that little text is important. I got this uh, from Timothy Keller a few years ago as I was listening to a message about a guy up here from New York. You might have heard of him. Um, Redeemer Christ, uh, Presbyterian pastor. And he was talking about how, in the original language, this term, uh, crouching at the door, actually means like a predator, uh, like, like a lion. I don't know, does anybody have a lion at your house? If you don't, a cat will help. But if you watch the cat just get small and make himself tiny, he's ready to pounce. That crouching uh, motion is what's happening here in this text, crouching at the door. It makes itself look small, and it could be something on a computer, and it looks so small, it's just the enter button. If I just push it, it's just, that's a small little button, but then you push that thing, and it, the whole thing opens up in your marriage, and opens up in your life, and a lot of destruction comes in through little small things. And so what God is telling, telling Cain way back here, says evil is crouching. It always makes itself look smaller than it is. And in this case, it was an anger. It's, it's something that's going to grow into murder. But it's like, hey, if you won't deal with this, it's going to take over. It says, and then go forward here. It says, it desires to have you. And in, in the next uh, slide there, it desires to have you. There's a, a book I, I read just, you know, just to make sure I knew what was going on. I had a, a pastor once tell me, man, I really like the secret. It reminds me a lot of what Jesus taught. And I was like, I don't think, I got to read and make sure this guy knows what he's talking about. And uh, no, it doesn't remind me about what Jesus taught. But they do take him out of context in this book. And uh, they say they use Jesus' words about pray, believe, and receive as if that was this, this invisible force in the universe. And you just can ask for money. And you just tell the universe, I love, I love money, and money loves me. And then when, as you're opening your bills, uh, you pretend that those are checks coming in the mail. And so there's this whole psychological thing in this book. But one of the things that is interesting that the book says is that it's like the universe has a personality. And if you will cry out to it for money, it'll answer. Well, go figure. It does have a personality behind there. It's crouching at the door. And it's crouching at the door, and it desires to have you. So uh, I put that as an example here because, yes, ever since the, the first family, ever, ever since the beginning, 
Sin has been crouching at the door. It wants to come in and destroy the family, destroy the, the mission that God has made this family to live, to reflect God's image and to spread it all throughout the earth. And he wants to let crouching sin jump out and become this, this hidden dragon. I guess, I guess that, could, that would work. He wants it to become this huge thing. But we, we, here comes the gospel, the next phrase. Go ahead. Next phrase, it says, but you must rule over it. And that's where the gospel is. Not only can you, but we must defeat sin. And that's what the whole story of the Bible is about. It's about how people that are really helpless without a Savior, they can defeat sin because of what Christ did for us. And so this is kind of the, the, the background for then what we're going to see. Go ahead, move, move forward there. Um, I laid out here the two genealogies of Cain and of Seth because Abel gets killed. And so then on, on the scene comes Seth, this new heir of Adam and Eve. And I just kind of put them out there. You might see that, well... The, the names seem a little bit weird, but I did it in Portuguese, so you just have to believe me that that's Cain is Cain, and Seth is Sech. So, um, but let's go forward here and let's take a look at these genealogies. Basically, a few years ago, I was teaching at a Sunday school in Rochester, Minnesota, and I did this terrible mistake. I mean, it was, it was several years ago. I think it was about about 20, and I was kind of got confused because you got two Enochs going on here and two Lemics, and I got my Enochs mixed up. I don't know if you've ever done that, mixed up your Enix. It's not a good thing. Uh, I, uh, I said, looking at the text, I remember teaching, I was like, man, God's grace is amazing. Enoch was the son of Cain, and he walked with God and was taken away. Man, that's great. He didn't follow his dad. And I got all confused up. So about two days after I'd already spoken in that Sunday school, and I never went back, so I think I'm hoping they'll get the message that I didn't mean to say that. But... Uh, I figured out there was two Enochs and there's two Lemics. Now, that's kind of weird. So that's why I laid out, a lot of these names are similar. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of these guys here. And so the names are very similar. And my theory is this. They didn't have a lot of books for the baby names back in those days. Uh, there may have been a stone tablet and so it was heavy to carry or something like that. And so I think that they would... Uh, one side of the mountain, you know, they had the tablet, and then the other side maybe had would r- make a runner go over and find out the name, and they come back sometimes forget a little bit of the name on the on the journey because you got here um, Matuzael and Matula, Mat- Malalel and Matuzael. You got Matuzalang. I mean, very similar names. You can check it out in chapters four and five of Genesis. But I just want to take. The main names, which are Enoch and Lamech, which are the confusing ones because they're the same. And take a look at what the Bible says about this. As we look at these two generations, moving forward there, Genesis 4.17, talking about Cain's Enoch. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain uh, was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. And so if you remember a little bit back in the text... Cain has been cursed for, for murdering his brother, and corn won't grow in his name, and so much less a city, but he's going to get one over on God and says, okay, well, if I can't use my name, my son's name is going to be the name of the city. And he makes the city of Enoch. Now, I don't think anybody's ever seen this city, and I don't think anybody remembers this guy, unless it is to confuse him with the other Enoch who walked with God and God took him which is what happened with me when I was teaching a while back. And so on the, other side of the, on the other side of the ravine, you've got the Enoch of Seth, who comes down 
from Seth, and it's two different family lines, but they all go back to Adam and Eve. Take a look at this Seth. It says, altogether, uh, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked with God, walked faithfully with God, and he was no more because God took him away. Now imagine the family reunions like, hey, my Enoch, you know, our Enoch, he's got a, there's a city of Enoch. That's where he is. Where's your Enoch? We don't know. He, he disappeared. He's walking with God and walking and he's got, the religion took over and he got, we, you can't see him anymore. And I remember speaking on this a while back in Brazil and uh, it was a few years ago and then the national pastor, this year I was speaking at his retreat, his youth retreat during Carnival and uh, I was complaining or, or crying about how I, can't, I don't see my daughter anymore. She's, she's in, in seminary over in Australia and he brings up, says, didn't you say that, you know, parents have to be happy when their kids disappear into the, work, into the walking with God? Didn't you say that about Enoch? Yeah, but uh, it's not, you know, when they really do disappear and, you can't, and they're not with you because they're walking with the Lord, it, it's, it's hard to take sometimes. But here, imagine the family. The guy dis- disappears. So one, you have this whole city in the name of Enoch. The other one, the absence of the presence of the guy because he's following God. If you were to go in human perspective, one is much more legacy-driven uh, than the other. I mean, this guy, we, we see the city. We see the name of the city. We know the guy. So as you compare these two, there, we would be, in human terms, tempted to say that Cain's Enoch was doing better than the other one. He's got a city name. The other guy, we can't even find him. Go down to the Lemics, which are the similar name. Genesis 4.17, Cain made... Uh, you can go forward there. I don't know. That's not supposed to be there. There we go. Uh, okay, so he was the father of those who lived in tents. So I, I'm not going to read the whole text, but basically Lemek has two wives. That's why you see the two ladies up there and the, and the skull. He kills somebody just like, just like uh, his ancestor Cain did. And then he uh, says, hey, if, if, if it's seven times that people are going to be cursed if they, if they hurt Cain, 70 times seven if they come after me. It's an interesting number because Jesus says it for forgiveness and here the descendant of Cain says it for condemnation. But basically, you have this, this lineage and they're locked in to Cain's lifestyle and now he takes two wives, he kills, he has kids and there's Jubal, uh, Tubal, and uh, Tubal Cain. I know the names in Portuguese. I don't know what... Let's see, they say them up there. Uh, it says... He was the father of these, those who lived in tents. So he's talking about Jubal. Jubal was like, these are three, these are three uh, Nobel Peace Prize, or Nobel Prize winners. You got the, the guy, maybe the prize of finances. He invented the farm. He invented ranching. I mean, I can imagine them running after the cattle and finally saying, hey, let's put some fences up, man, and, and then we won't have to chase these things so much. And so he invents the farm, the other guy invents musical instruments, Jabal, and then Tubal-Cain, he invents metal, you know, bronze uh, hammers and chisels. I mean, these are incredibly innovative sons, and anybody would be proud to have these sons. And as we go, even in our church in Brazil, sometimes we'll, we'll talk to parents about their kids and say, um, how are your kids doing? And they'll often say, oh, my, my kid's a lawyer, my kid's a really successful businessman. Well, my, my kid is a doctor. And, and a lot of the times when you ask people how their kids are doing, it has something to do with an education that they're, they're finishing up or money that they're earning. 
and they're basically they're down the line of Jubal to you know Jubal uh, Cain, those three, and it's the the Nobel Prize stuff that the parents are really excited about. And a few years back, we talked to our kids. You know, God's given us some really talented kids. Yeah, you can go forward. Uh, Camila, she loves to sing. She writes music. She's gonna she's gonna use that for the Lord. Uh, Gabriel, he, he can sing as well, but he picked up the slack line. To there. He's had it for a week, and he's always doing that drop-down thing there. Uh, so uh, they're talented. But what we told them a while back was that, listen, kids, now don't use this to fail in school, but you want you got to hear from me. Uh, education is not the most important thing in your life. Making money is not the most important thing in your life. Matter of fact, if you, if you struggle through school, and we'll help you get through it, but if you fall at the feet of Jesus Christ, if you believe in the adventure that he has for you, I mean, that is what will make the heart of your parents joyful. And so if you can find your kids, so the question is, are your kids doing all right? Do you ever surprise them when they're face down praying, crying out to God? I found a couple pictures on the website of our church, one of Camila before she was leading worship. The other one was of Gabe uh, after uh, youth our youth pastor was preaching. I was like, no, that's my, those are my kids. Those are my kids. And I don't care how they're doing it. They're actually doing good at, in education-wise. But what I do care about is, do they think that Jesus Christ is the greatest thing on the face of the earth? That's what I care about. And go ahead and move forward there. As you look at these two generations, and you see that Lamech on this side has Noah, and he has three sons. And those guys, uh, they had enough talent to build the ark, but, of course, they didn't do anything that the culture liked. They ended up being you know, 120 years building something that society thought was a waste of time. And the other guys inventing you know, farming and musical instruments and, and, uh, and tools. But when the flood came, the same water that lifted the ark destroyed in the farm and hid the harp and all the tools of Cain's descent. So that you and I are all descended from Seth today. It's interesting. Well, what was the difference? What was the great difference between these two families? They both came from Adam and Eve. I mean, Cain, I think, had a little advantage because we have, we have there that God went to talk to him personally twice in person and tried to help him. It doesn't say that Seth had that advantage. But there must have been something different about these two family lines that brought such prosperity but lostness to one and such, uh, you know, a, 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 a cascading desire to follow God and to be used by God, and then salvation to this other family. And I think I found, at least for me, it was a good answer in two verses that are in chapter four. Cain, it says, in verse sixteen, says, "So Cain went out from the Lord's presence." If we just take that phrase, he was standing before God, and he left. He went out from the Lord's presence and made his own future. On the other side, it says, and at that time, and it's right after it says, and, and Seth had Enos. And at that time, it was just the two of those, the father and son. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. And I had to ask myself, Shane, is your family going to be known for family that walks away from the presence of the Lord? Or are you going to be known for a family that calls upon the name of the Lord? This was like, the other ones discovered you know, tools, and, invented tools. These guys discovered prayer. 
I mean, before God would come and talk personally, but there was somebody, and I guess it was Enos and, and his dad Seth, that said, you know what, we can't see God, but I think that if we say something out loud, he can hear it, and we're going to call on the name of the Lord. And they started praying in faith that the invisible God could hear them, and look what happened. All of us come from that. We come from that lineage. And so I've got to ask you, what God's been asking me is, Shane, what will your, your family be known for? And I was speaking on this subject at a camp about three years ago. And uh, I was about to go out, and they had a flip chart, and I was going to draw it out as I spoke. And uh, I was leaving the room, and I looked back at the door of the room, and on the, on the door it said, A Familia Dusheni, or Here's for Shane's Family. So I had to click it one time. Shane's Family here. It was just a paper on the door. I was thinking, yeah, we, all of us are sleeping in this room. But I thought about it, you know, we came from another city, and as we came to speak at this camp, there was a page put on the door for all of our family to know where we're supposed to sleep. And I thought about, and, and my name was on that. And I started thinking about, what responsibility? Shane's family here. And I took that little piece of paper with me, to that speech, and I just posted on, on that side, and I said, listen, if we're going to be known for something, if our family's going to be known for something, it better be that these people, they called upon the name of the Lord, that these people, that they threw their lives before the throne of Christ, and he did something with them. So I want to encourage you and ask you, how do you do for your family, for your legacy? Maybe your kids are out of home, and, and it's just a matter of, crying out to the Lord for them now, daily. Or maybe you're going to raise small children and you're going to say, hey, education is going to be important, yeah, because it's a form of worship, you know, to be faithful. Uh, money is important because that's a form of worship of how we administer our funds. But the most important thing for my family is that my kids learn to call upon the name of the Lord. Thank you, Pastor. I invite you to come now. And Lord, I just pray that Today, as we close out this time together, that you would encourage Trinity here, and because and, we're so thankful for what they've meant to us over the years, and what they've meant to the, the people that we've been able to in turn invest in because they invest in us. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this church and bless this, this, this ministry to wash the cars and, and love people in the name of Jesus and to hand out the water, Lord, that the church would just rise up and be that, that uh, influence in the community, Lord. And that the kids would see their parents doing this. And that grandkids would see grandpa and grandma doing this. And, and that the church would just be a beacon of hope and love in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. We can put our hands together and say thank you.